Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Thank you all for coming back to week number two of Taboo. And if you don't know what taboo means, um, it is a social or religious custom prohibiting or forbidding discussion of a a particular practice. Um, And so I've picked a couple of topics for three weeks to talk about that you usually do not hear discussed in the church. and, And certainly it's rare that you hear it preached from the pulpit. And so uh, last week, the topic that I shared with you was um, depression. And I wanted to remove any doubt that that there is a a saying out there that Christians don't get depressed. And folks, that is just not true. I showed you many examples in the Bible, and then I showed you uh, Elijah, who uh, did incredible things in the name of God, and yet he experienced depression. And what you'll find out is that the highs um, are matched by the lows that we go through. And and so as Christians, we need to realize that uh, this is something that goes on. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch uh, last week's sermon and allow God's Word to speak to your heart when it comes to the topic of um, depression and, and really listen to what was really important about that message, and that was... What does the Bible say, and how do we fix it? Because it's, it's simple, but sometimes it's not easy. Well, this week I'm uh, taking on a different topic, and the topic that I want to talk to you about this week is assault. Uh, you could use or, or, or replace that word assault with the word abuse. And um, specifically, I'm going to talk about three different areas of abuse. Number one, physical abuse, mental abuse, and sexual abuse. I know that we want to believe in our hearts that in the church and people who come and find themselves in the church week after week that that isn't going on in their lives. But the reality of it is that there are people in our congregation that are physically abused by maybe people in the congregation or people in their lives that that don't come to church. Without a doubt, there are many of you that suffer at the hands of mental abuse by people that claim they love you, and yet they manipulate you and they hold and they leverage your love or your um, relationship with them, and, and, and they abuse you mentally. And so this week, I'm going to be talking specifically about sexual abuse or sexual assault. And I want you to understand that every one of these principles goes towards mental abuse, physical abuse. Um, But I wanted to get you out of here in a timely manner this week. Um, And so instead of hitting all three of those and saying the same thing, I'm going to talk about this one topic of sexual assault. And I'm going to share it with you from from my personal experience, and then I want to share with you what God says, and then I want to give some of you all freedom. 
And I want to talk about uh, sexual assault in the church. Now, given that we are a Baptist church, it would be easy for me to talk about the Catholic church today. This is a topic that has been out for uh, 10 years or more, probably been known for longer than that, and the Catholic Church has absolutely taken it on the chin for what has happened. But guys, I'm not here to talk about the Catholic Church today. Folks, I'm going to talk about the Baptist churches because sexual assault is just as rampant in Baptist churches as anything that you've heard about when it comes to the Catholic Church. My personal experience... Um, uh, when I was just uh, about 11 years old, the pastor of the church that I was going to ran off with the secretary of the church. You know, he didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, you know what? We should take off. There was a relationship that was fostered over months. And he abused his position of power and took advantage of uh, a young lady who had a family with children. And to fulfill his desires, broke up that family. Church, that ought not so to be. The next church we moved to, and my dad was in the military, and, and we moved around a little bit. And the next church, uh, there was a family where the father was sexually abusing three of his stepdaughters. Folks, these are things I'm not making up. I'm not reading about these in articles. This is what your pastor experienced growing up. Those girls were my friends. In that same church, there was another couple that had fallen into the trap of bestiality. The husband was forcing the wife to um, have sexual acts with him and some of their farm animals. Folks, this is people in the church every Sunday. At another church, the father uh, was sexually abusing his teenage daughter. Went off to Bible college, and um, a few years after that, probably the professor that I looked up to the most today is in jail for statutory rape where he took a 13-year-old girl across state lines to counsel. And the shame of the matter was that somebody in the church drove that girl to that rendezvous. There's a chancellor of another Bible college who ended up having to resign in shame because um, it had come out that he had sexually assaulted dozens of young girls. I'm talking less than 10 years old. And instead of turning him over and allowing the law enforcement to do what they should have done, this man was sent to Germany as a missionary. Folks, that's criminal on our part as the church. Another church where uh, there was somebody who was caught in this. The church decided because the, the man had repented, they weren't going to report it. And that offender was eventually arrested after he abused five more children in that church. And see, here's what's always said. It's always the first time, and it won't ever happen again. Folks, I'm here to tell you, let me just bring you to reality 2021. 
In reality, 2021 is this, that the silence on sexual abuse in the church is deafening. The church should have been louder and more vocal when the Me Too movement started than anyone else. Folks, that's what we are here to defend. The helpless, the powerless. And yet we circle the wagons sometimes in a religious community thinking that the the world is going to see that and they're going to take advantage of that and they're going to uh, hurt us. Folks, if we allow this to perpetuate itself in these on this campus, we deserve to be exposed. If I, as your pastor, allow this to go untaken care of, I deserve every bit of criticism that comes with that. What we've learned from our own um, Lifeway, which is uh, one of the biggest publishers that we use to produce uh, biblical materials, and what they found out is that pastors rarely mention this issue from the pulpit. 64% of the pastors said that they talk about sexual violence once a year or even less. And these same pastors drastically underestimate the number of victims in their congregation. Most believe that it probably affects 10% of the population in their congregation. And the reality is this, that one in four women and one in nine men have been sexually abused. The problem with that is 60% of sexual assault cases go unreported. And so if you do the math, that's probably three out of every four women have been sexually assaulted or abused, either by someone in the church, someone in their family, or someone that they know. Boz Shavidian, who is the grandson of Billy Graham, said this, that sexual abuse is the most underreported thing both in and outside of the church. Now, I'm not quoting him because he's the grandson of Billy Graham. I'm quoting him because he's the former Florida assistant state attorney. He saw it. He watched it. I'm going to mention some men who have um, been exposed publicly Uh, Paige Patterson used to be the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, one of our Southern Baptist seminaries. He was forced into early retirement a few years ago after months of reports that he had told a rape victim to forgive her assailant rather than call the police. There was a lot more to that story. Bill Hybels, many of you may know, uh, had a massive church in the Chicago area, retired early after several women said that he had dispensed lewd comments, unwanted kisses, and invitations to hotel rooms. This is a man who wrote a book that said, uh, too busy to pray and walk across a room. Phenomenal books, but yet this is what was going on behind the scenes. Dan Savage, who is a sex advice columnist and LGBT rights advocate, it took him compiling a list that documents hundreds of instances of youth pastors around the country that were accused, arrested for, convicted of sexually abusing minors in their congregation. Bill Gothard, who, again, out of the Chicago area, had a phenomenal program in the 80s called the Institute of Basic Life Principles, was accused by 18 volunteer staff members and interns that he had sexually harassed, molested, and assaulted them. Josh Duger, the eldest of 19 kids in the Duger family, who had gone on to be the director of the FRC's political action group, 
FRC action. He lost his job after reports that he molested four of his siblings and a babysitter as a teenager. For years, Duggar's abuse stayed hidden as parents and an Arkansas state trooper who's now in prison himself on charges of child pornography declined to disclose the crimes. Would it surprise you if I told you that on April 30th that Josh Duggar was arrested for child pornography again? Maybe the most prominent one out there right now is Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias was an incredible apologist for the Christian faith. But here's what the last two years of Ravi Zacharias' life revealed. That he had arranged for ministry to provide ladies financial support, and then he would require sex from them. Folks, we call that rape. Zacharias would make them pray with him and thank God for the opportunity that they both received. He called the victims his reward for living a life of service to God. When he died last May, he was praised for his faithful witness, his commitment to the truth, and his personal integrity. Folks, Christians around the world allowed this abuse to numerous women and allowed it to manipulate those that were closest to him to not believe anything. It took an atheist blogger was the only one that cared enough to start chronicling Zacharias sexually abused people because no one else wanted to do that. It's always the first time and it'll never happen again, right? That's what we keep saying. If you brought your Bibles, open up to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13, and what I want to do is I want to share with you a story out of Scripture that talks about this same topic of sexual assault. 2 Samuel 13 and verse 1 says these words, Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister, Tamar. For she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. Jonadab was an evil man. We've told you this time and time again. The people that you surround yourself with are what you're going to be like five years from now. If you see actions in the people that are closest to you, you better do something about it. Because if you don't, you'll be making and taking those same actions very soon. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard? morning after morning. Will you not tell me? And Amnon said, I love Tamar, my brother, Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, who was his father? King David. And when your father comes to see you, say to them, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. And so Amnon laid down, pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Now you remember last week I talked to you about 1 Kings chapter 19, but before you get to 1 Kings chapter 19, what was there? 1 Kings chapter 18. And before 1 Kings chapter 18, there was 1 Kings chapter 
17. Well, before you get to 2 Samuel chapter 13, guess what there is? Chapter 12 and chapter 11. You know, chapter 11 tells the story of David and Bathsheba. I'm convinced that Amnon knew and was a young adult when that happened. Everybody knew what the king was doing. Everybody knew that he slept with Bathsheba. Everybody knew that he killed Uriah. And Amnon knew that too. And so when this was given to him, he tells that very man who he saw do evil in front of all the people and made him an accomplice to what he was about to do. In verse 7, then David sent home to Tamar saying, go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare good food for him. And so Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and where she, he was lying down and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. You can see the plot unfolding now, can't you? Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat with, from your hand. Tamar took the cakes she made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where... Where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than her, he violated her and lay with her. He raped his sister. Listen, verse 15. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this is wrong, and sending me away is greater than the other that you've done to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Folks, I want you to understand something. When it comes to sin, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Every single time when david saw bathsheba on the roof of her house sin took him much further than he wanted to go he didn't plant, start sleeping with bathsheba thinking about killing uriah but he did it and sin kept him longer than he wanted to stay he had no idea that his sins would ultimately result in one of his own sons raping one of his own daughters you see, sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. So what are some lessons that we can learn from this story and, and from my personal experience in the church? And number one is I have a, a lesson for the victims. If you are here today and you have suffered at the hands of someone else, whether it was a physical, mental, or sexual assault, I want you to hear a couple of things. The first thing is this, what you focus on grows. If we continue looking in 2 Samuel 13, and I'm just going to read verses 17 and a couple. In, and it said, he called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence. And now verse 18. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. 
So a servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. And desolate means solitary and lonely. I have no doubt that there are many of you who have been violated just like this. And you find yourself living a solitary and lonely life. You feel like there's nobody that you can share this with. That there's nobody that will believe you. That there's nobody that will stand with you. And it's unfortunate that in the church that we've allowed that to be perpetrated. Not just that we've allowed it to happen, but we've allowed the victims to believe that they don't have a voice, that they don't have defenders in the church. Second thing I want you to understand is this, that what you focus on grows, but more importantly, you need to focus on Christ, not people. If you focus on people, you'll be disappointed every time. You need to focus on Christ. People will let you down. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he will sustain you. The third thing I want you to take away from this is that, that you can be a victor. You have the ability. You don't have to live in solitary. You don't have to be desolate. Your life doesn't have to be over. You can be a victor because Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no victory outside of that. Folks, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how somebody who has, has been treated that way is able to get up and function on a daily basis. But here you are. You, you face life. And I'm here to tell you that you can do more than just make it through life, but you can be a victor in every area of your life through Jesus Christ. And the last thing I would encourage you, if you are a victim and you have, have, have experienced this trauma, I would tell you that you need to get in a life group. Community is God's ideal. It is only in community that we can know and be known, that we can be love and be loved, that we can celebrate others and we can be celebrated. It's only through these close, transparent relationships that we get to be transformed. Everything that has been happening in our church for the last two months happened because of Life Group. It happened because you were getting together and you found out. Some of your eyes got opened. You say, I remember, I was told this, that we didn't talk about that stuff when I was young. Folks, it's 2021, and we do. But unfortunately, we don't have the ability to do it in this environment, but in, in our houses when we are together with people who are like-minded, people who love and care for us, we are able to unload these burdens. In life group, you are invited to enjoy the rewards and embrace the risks of community. To the family and friends, I have a couple of words of advice to you. Number one is we listen. There's a reason why 60% of the physical, mental, and sexual assaults are not reported. It's because when they are, people don't listen. When they are, we sometimes believe that, you know what, it can't be like that. Folks, I was shocked to find out that my own grandmother was abused by, by my grandfather. 
I was shocked that one of my uncles continued to do that. First Thessalonians 5.14 says these words, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. And then it finishes with this, be patient with them all. Those of us who are strong in our faith need to be patient with those who are weak in the faith. We need to give them time to grow through the process. Have y'all noticed that the corn's coming up? And you know, some fields, the corn's higher than other fields. But you know what? Come the end of the summer, all of them are going to be fully grown. And then they're going to come through with the harvester and they're going to get all of that crop. Folks, there are people in our church that are growing and they're just a little bit behind us. And we need to be patient and help them grow because the harvest is coming. The second thing I want us as family and friends to understand when there are people in our life that have uh, been physically, mentally, or sexually abused that we support. Churches do so much good. We nourish the soul. We comfort the sick. We provide services. We build beds. We put beds in homes. We have a benevolence ministry. We take the teaching of Jesus and we give that out. We even work to fight sexual abuse and harassment here in this church with a group called Rise Up. But like in any community of faith, there's also sin. And this sin is often silenced, ignored, or denied. And I want you to understand, church, that it's much more common than any of us want to believe. Proverbs 17, 15 says these words, He who justifies the wicked, he condemns the righteous are both alike. They're an abomination to the Lord. And I would tell you that there are many churches that are abomination in God's sight because they didn't do anything for the victims. I gave you a long list of people who in the church had sexually assaulted, sexually abused, raped. And I'm here to tell you that only two of those men are in prison or served any kind of prison time. And the third thing I want you to understand is we report. Evangelical church has failed in its reporting of sexual abuse. They have not reported it appropriately. They have not reported it timely. And because of that, the culture in our churches is affected. Remember, sexual abuse is the most underreported thing, both in and outside of the church. 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says these words, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I want you to understand that if you are here today and you are a victim of sexual assault, if you are a victim of physical abuse, if you're a victim of mental abuse, that you have an advocate in me. You may tell somebody else and they not, won't do anything, I will. And I would encourage you to find a way to reach out to me, whether it's here in person at church, whether it's uh, through Facebook or through the email. Get a hold of me and let me know. You have somebody who will stand with you and defend. Church, we need to learn to rejoice in the truth. And you know, sometimes the truth is painful. 
Sometimes the truth is not what we want to hear. We, we don't want to believe that that's possible, but the reality it is. And just because we put our heads in the sand doesn't mean that it goes away. That means that it stops happening. That's not the way it works. And another group of people that I have a message for, and that's to the criminals. Those of you who've abused people physically, mentally, and sexually, this goes beyond sin. It's a crime. And the actions that you are doing are criminal. I want to share with you a couple of passages that that Jesus, if he sat across from the table, I believe these are the words that he would share with you. If you would open up to Luke chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. We got that, right? But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. And I want you to hear something. God does not want you living a life of sin. But God is less concerned about your life of sin than the lives that you are impacting through your influence, through your power, through your ability. There are people living in your home that look up to you and you think that your sin is hidden and it's not. And one day they will be doing the same thing. Just like David thought his sin was hidden from Amnon, it wasn't. That's how Amnon believed that it was okay for him to do what he did. Verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. That's what I'm doing today, folks. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive. Those are the words of Jesus. But understand this, that there is no repentance or no forgiveness without repentance. There is a term called the synoptic gospels, and the synoptic gospels are where the same passages in all three of the gospels, and this happens to be one of those passages. So if you would, turn over to Matthew chapter 18, and, and let's see how Matthew heard these words. Matthew chapter 18, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's interesting how Jesus answers the question. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, and he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, and you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The, the facts are out there that more people will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior before the age of 15 than all of those combined after the age of 15. Verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. I'm, I'm spotting a trend here, folks. Let's turn over to Mark. Mark chapter 9. Let's see what how Mark heard Jesus say these same words. I'm going to start reading in verse 2. Mark chapter 9 and verse 42. 
Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. I hope that you're starting to hear it. Yes, God hates sin in your life. But here's the reality. You'll pay for that sin one day. This is why he says, if you lead one of my little ones into sin, it would be much better for you just to be wiped off this earth. Verse 43, and if your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. Why? It's better for you to enter life crippled. And I hope you listen to that word. It's better for you to enter life. Guys, what we're living now, this isn't life. Eternal life happens when we separate from this body and the the scripture tells us to be absent from the body, to be present with God. That's when life begins for us. And he says, if your hand called you to sin, cut it off because it's better to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. Verse 45, maybe you didn't get it there. Let's try this one. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. And if your eyes cause you to sin, tear them out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now, folks, you know, we as a church, sometimes we, we, we're good with the salt. When somebody's hurt and wounded, we pour a little salt in there. Have you ever been making a recipe and you confuse sugar for salt? I did it once. I, I, I'm not going to do it again. Be at peace with one another. Folks, we can't be at peace with one another when we are allowing physical, mental, and sexual assault to go on. Now, I get it, folks, that you're probably not aware of it happening, but some of you are. And you better do something about it. Some of you are the perpetuators, the criminals. You better do something about it. It is better for you to enter into heaven having served time in prison because of your evil deeds than for you to spend the rest of eternity in hell because you thought nobody knew. Let me tell you this here at Crossroads Church. At Crossroads Church, we will reconcile the cognitive dissonance. How can a church often called the hope of the world also be the incubator for such evil? Here at Crossroads Church, we will bear responsibility for what we uh, unwittingly sometimes enable, what we don't speak against and what we allow to continue. Here at Crossroads Church, we will face the sin in our midst. We'll make a church a place that follows the biblical commands to care for the powerless and the victimized. Here at Crossroads Church, we will live in authentic community where responsibility, accountability, and compassion are second nature. And caring for children and adult survivors of abuse is non-negotiable. You see, here at Crossroads Church, we are cycle breakers. At Crossroads Church, sin stops here. Not because of who we are, but because we are victors through who? Christ Jesus. 
Folks, we're not victors because we sing worship songs. We're not victors because we open up the Bible and read it. We're victors because Jesus, 2,000 years ago, hung on a tree for you and me. And folks, we got to start living like it. I know this is tough medicine. I know this isn't something that we enjoy hearing. But the reality is that if one out of four has publicly made it known, and we believe that 60% haven't been made known, you're standing beside, you're sitting beside somebody who has probably been or is being sexually assaulted, physically assaulted, mentally being abused. What will we do as the church? We'll turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'll close walking us through this chapter. And I would encourage you to read this chapter throughout this week. 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 2, I'll start. And, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, there is no doubt about it that there are people that are listening, that are sitting here in the chairs, there are people that are watching online, and you are not saved. You have tried to convince yourself that you are, and Paul says that you have believed in vain. Now, I will get up here and I'll preach Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10 all day long. And then it says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he died on the cross and that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. But there are many of you who have never, you say you've done that, but your actions don't say that. You are still living in sin. One of the most often questions that when people sit down with me quietly, they ask, am I really saved? Guys, I can't answer that question for you. But I can tell you this. I can tell you what's growing on your tree. And if it ain't the fruit of the Spirit, I would get something changed. Don't be like what Paul's talking about here. And those who have believed in vain, those who've never really believed, for I delivered to you as the first importance also what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Verse 8. Last of all, as to one untimely, he appeared also to me. Listen, verse 9, for I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. The man writing those words was a murderer. He killed those who claimed the name of Jesus Christ. David, a man after God's own heart, was not just an adulterer, he was a murderer. I'm here to tell you that those of you who have committed these criminal acts, there is forgiveness, there can be freedom, there can be victory for you as well, but there has to come repentance. You have to face the music. You don't get to do this and then quietly um, ask God to forgive you. But you see, in God's economy, it just works. In God's economy, he can take a man like David and allow him to be uh, the father of Jesus Christ. He can take a man like Paul who persecuted him and his people and turn him into the best and greatest evangelist that we've known on the face of the earth. But see, these men were changed. And I'll tell you this, these men paid a price. 
David didn't get off scot-free. David paid a price with the loss of a child. He paid a price with what Amnon did with his daughter. He paid a price with his other son, Absalom, who um, tried to kill and usurp his kingdom. Life was not easy for David after what he had done to Bathsheba. But yet God still used him. Continuing on in chapter 15, go to verse 29. It says, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? And and in two weeks, we're going to baptize again. And I'm here to tell you that if you have not been baptized, you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. I would encourage you to get one of our decision cards, fill that out, mark baptism, so that um, I can reach out and talk to you and we can have you on the list. and, And you, in two weeks, can take that believer's step of obedience. But let me talk to you a little bit about baptism. If the dead are not raised at all, because that's really what baptism uh, pictures is going under the water is, is someone going into the ground and then coming out a new person. And if the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. You've heard me say this many times. There are four disciplines that we have to have as Christians in our life. Folks, if you can't check this inventory off, you need to get right with God. Number one is we need to confess our sins daily. When's the last time that you told God, I'm sorry, and and you listed out those sins? If you can't remember when that was, you better start today. Because if you don't, you'll continue to dig that hole. And you'll get to a point where you can't. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, in verse 32, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Be careful who you're listening to. There are people who mock you for going to church. There are people who mock you for opening up God's word. There are people who mock you for closing your eyes in prayer to the God of this universe. There are people who will tell you that you don't have to confess anything. That's not really sin. Verse 34, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. Folks, if you are here today, I will preach this all day long. When a woman was caught in adultery and she was dragged before Jesus Christ, at the end of it, he had a conversation with her. And he says, where are your accusers? Are they gone? She said, yeah, they're gone. He says, well, I'm not going to accuse you either. Go and sin no more. And there are many of you that need to hear those words in your life. You need to sin no more. You need to get out of that lifestyle of sin that you're living in. Because you cannot expect. Look, you get mad at God because he don't answer your prayers, and yet you're living like a heathen. God doesn't even hear anything. It doesn't get past the roof. And yet you'll get mad at God because he's not answering your prayer. Wake up. For some have no knowledge of God. Now listen to this. I say this to your shame. Crossroads Church is put here to impact the greater Centralia area. And there are people in the greater Centralia area that have no knowledge of God, and that's to the shame of us that call this our church. We need to be bolder. We need to speak louder. 
we need to be heard. We need to accept that we're going to be mocked. We need to realize that, you know what, some, some people just aren't going to get it. What are we going to do with this? Going on in chapter 15, verse 39. For not all flesh is the same. There's one kind of humans, another of animals, another of birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And one day, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will receive that heavenly body. But the glory of the heavenly is one kind. The glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for the stars differ from star and glory. Jumping down to verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, it's not about what you accomplish in this world. It's not about what you do in this perishable body. It's what that soul that's attached to this body is doing. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I would encourage you to be here July 25th when we start a new series called The Beginning of the End Times. Well, I'll take that statement and I will unload it and I will show you what God has said. But we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in what? The work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I get it. Some of you, are, you're worn out. You're tired. You're tired of living a defeated life. You're tired of trying to live a, a good life and falling short so many times. But I'm here to tell you that the Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. See, you can wake up with a smile on your face even though you go to bed in tears. But the only way you can do that is if you accept what Christ has done, if you accept what the work that he's doing in your life, if you realize that it's not about this physical body that we have. It's that, that, folks, if you're focusing on this, you've missed it. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. Don't get hung up on what's going on now. Don't get hung up on the, having the perfect job. Don't get hung up on getting that nice car. Don't get hung up on having enough money in the bank. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all of these things will be added. All of those things that you'll worry about, all of those things that you wonder, does God care about? If you will put him first, he will take care of that. But we got to put him first. Join me in prayer. God, I come to you today, and Lord, this is not a message that any of us want to hear, but God, we need to hear it. Lord, I, I lift up those in our midst that have been victims, that have been abused, that have been assaulted. And God, I pray that we as a church will be a place of healing. We, the church, will allow them to see Jesus. 
God, I pray that you would be with all the friends and family members and, and help us to listen. Help us to support. And God, give us the courage when we see evil that we report it. Even if it's gonna turn our life upside down. And then God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be convicting to those in our midst, those that are gonna watch this online. God, if they are living in a life of sin, Lord, that your Holy Spirit shows them that it is better for them that they cut that out than that they enter into life maimed. God, your word was very clear today. Jesus, you spoke these words so clearly that hell is a real place, the fire that is unquenchable. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight. 